Welcome to Boston's Best, a podcast where you go behind the scenes with financial planner Mark Condon as he asks industry-leading experts in and around Boston to talk about their businesses. Mark will find out what sets these companies apart from their competition and how they have risen above the inevitable challenges they have faced along the way to their ultimate success. And now, here's your host, Mark Condon. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to episode 78 of Boston's Best, brought to you by Condon Productions. The goal of this podcast is to highlight businesses in and around Boston. My guest on today's podcast is Lucas McGarry. He is a mortgage advisor of McGarry Mortgages through Fairway Independent Mortgage. Lucas has a great story. He grew up in Maine and moved to Boston in his early 20s, where he started working for a moving company. After 15 years of moving up in the company, he pretty much got out of that job as much as he could, and he was looking for something different. An opportunity presented itself for him to completely change career paths, but he did have a family to provide for, so it was a sink or swim moment. He swam. Lucas was Fairway's 2019 Rookie of the Year, where he closed over $63 million in loans in his second year. He says it's really about his service. If you take a look at his reviews, the word communication is in 99% of those reviews. He prides himself on providing top-notch service to the would-be homebuyers. In this episode, we talked in-depth about the early challenges he faced as he navigated the new career and how he had a pivot from his initial plan of getting referral business. He ended up creating a really seamless process for first-time homebuyers and positioned himself as the expert. Buying a home for the first time can be a scary process, so being that go-to mortgage advisor is really what set him apart. And be sure to listen to the end. As Lucas shares the advice he gives someone looking to start their own business, what he would tell his 18-year-old self, and how he defines success in any given year. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Boston's Best. Good morning. This week, we have Lucas McGarry of McGarry Mortgages through Fairway Independent Mortgage. How you doing, man? Good. Good. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Excited to have you on Boston's Best. You and I have known each other for... uh... What, like maybe four years now, I think, four, yeah. years, five years, maybe. Our, our stories are kind of sympathetic of like how we got into different industries at a different point in our lives. So I'm excited to have you on here and talk about mortgages. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, it's what I love to talk about now. So, <laughs> um, so before we get into the business itself, give us a little background on you. Are you from Massachusetts originally? No, no. So uh, I grew up in uh, northern Maine, so about six six hour drive from from Boston. So I grew up in northern Maine and oh, wow. moved down to the Boston area uh, about almost twenty years ago. So yeah. I've been down in this area for for that long. But yeah, I grew up in a small, tiny town uh, um, in northern Maine called Bolton. Used to be a, a, a very popular town back in the day, uh, but uh, our Maine's biggest export now is is its children. So there's not a lot of industry. <laughs> In uh, in northern Maine, so I uh, came to the city and have stayed. Nice. Uh, so, what brought you to the city? Was it school or what was it? Yeah, yeah, schooling, friends, roommates, things like that. So, came yeah. down and uh, you know ended up starting my job I was at for 15 years, very very early on after moving down, and, and uh, so I uh, just had a reason to stay, and then met my wife a few years later. So. Uh, even more reason to stay, but yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Massachusetts is my home, Boston's my home. So um, even though I consider myself a Mainer when it's convenient, uh, when talking <laughs> to other people, but uh, I do consider myself a, a native here now after after 20 years, since I've pretty much lived almost half my life uh, in Mass. Yeah, that's fair enough. So what was that job you did for 15 years before getting into the mortgage industry? Yeah, great question. Um, so my mother had a furniture store that she worked at and I had delivered furniture all through high school. 
And so when I moved down here, I needed a summer job. So I flipped open the, the yellow pages. This is, you know, 2003. Yeah. So I flipped open the yellow pages, went to M for moving to see if I uh, <laughs> find a, a company willing to hire some young punk and uh, uh, found a company that just had randomly just started within the last year, year and a half. And uh, I called them up, scheduled an interview that day and started working the next day. And uh, 15 years later, <laughs> I was still there. So uh, we we went from maybe 10 to 12 employees to at one point 100 100 plus employees. Uh, oh wow! Larger moving companies in the Boston area. So uh, I had moved furniture for the first year or so, uh, and then um, moved into the sales position as we grew, and, and ended up becoming the sales manager for all the teams and everything. So kind of what I did for previous 15 years before getting into the mortgage industry four years ago. And nobody likes moving. Like I, like you could not pay me. Like it's not fun for anybody, the people that are moving. And then the people that get sucked into helping yeah. through like beer and pizza at the end of the yeah. day, it's not fun for anybody. You got to like slowly turn these big ass pieces of furniture, try to not to ding any walls. So kudos to you for doing it for so long. I despise moving. Like I will always yeah, it hire. Was a, it was an interesting, uh, you know, you think at, 20 some years old, you're in shape yeah. and, and yeah. you could, you could uh, you know, handle moving. Uh, it's, they're totally different muscles. Um, <laughs> our, our, uh, you know, our goal was to be quick and efficient because, you know, in moving it's by the hour. So, yeah. you, you know, someone's paying you by the hour. They don't want to see you milling around, taking your time. So, you know, we were running up fourth floor walk up, fifth floor walk up on Beacon Hill. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought I was in shape and these guys in their forties and fifties that were on the crew would, 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 crush me because it's a different set of muscles. It's a different in shape. I was glad to get off the moving side of it uh, and into the sales where I think I, I was a lot better in general. So, um, but yeah, no, no one likes it. Yeah. Especially um, in the city in the summertime. It's just brutal. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. Especially Beacon Hill, that whole area with the oh, yeah. hills and the fifth floors, like all that. So how did you go from moving to being a mortgage advisor? But yeah, after 15 years, um, it was, uh, you know, I, I felt like I had reached my, my maximum peak. The margins in moving uh, aren't you know, great. Yeah. So, you know, the, uh, you can only grow so big. Uh, there's a lot of overhead. And uh, I just felt like I had kind of reached the, the maximum potential. I was there and, and the owner of the company and I are, are really, really close. And we, we had a, a discussion just kind of on, you know, the trajectory. And, you know, I, I pretty much gathered that I was probably at the highest point I would ever be uh, just based on the industry, barring starting my own company, which I was not interested to, to get into moving after knowing the ins and outs and the yeah. margins and the headache and, and what's involved. So then I just kind of spoke to a few people in real estate. I always knew everyone in real estate because of you know being in the, in the moving industry. I networked with people in the real estate sphere because that was our natural connection. And, uh, you know, I ended up talking to, to a buddy of mine who, who was at Fairway and had been doing this for, at that point, 16 years. And uh, he just said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll worth a try. You're, you're really good at the sales end. Uh, you, you, you know, kind of everyone in the industry, you kind of know what's going on and, and yeah. come over and try it. And my wife and I sat down, figured out, you know, is it, is it worth making the, the, the leap? And uh, four years later, it's, it's been an amazing journey. My business is, is you know, skyrocketed and uh, it, it's one of the best decisions I ever made for, for myself and, and my family to kind of jump into a, a different part of the real estate transaction. Yeah. Was that an easy decision? Because, you know, you, I, I know you personally, it's like you're married, you got a couple kids, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, um, so like, 
how, how did that conversation go with your wife? Uh, you know, she believed that I could do it. It was yeah. uh, sink or swim uh, for the most part. You know, I, I you know, knowing everyone over here, I, I you know, I, I did come over with some like, all right, I need to at least start with some level of, of salary because as as a mortgage advisor, you know, we are 100% commission. Like right. if you're out on your own, you're 100% commission. If you don't yeah. get out there and get business, you're not making any money, which was the scariest part. Of course. So able to at least get a first year of, of comfort in, in somewhat of a reduced salary so I could start ramping up my business. But oh, okay. That still was was scary because, uh, you know, what if what if I didn't succeed? What if I yeah. couldn't bring in business, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and when that salary ended, you know, are, am I able to sustain, you know, to take care of my family? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so how did you go about first networking to try to get, to get business in general? Do you just go knocking or like meeting up with realtors? Like, <laughs> yeah, how- so I, I had a little naivete because I had a, a Rolodex of, you know, hundred plus realtors that I had, uh, yeah. had uh, known. I, I networked with them. They knew me as the the, the mover guy. You know, yeah. I always got their referrals. They always gave their clients to me. Yeah. So I came over with the naivete that uh, you know I'll just reach out to Joe. Joe's a realtor. He sent me business. I'll reach out to Joe and say, Hey, Joe, I'm, I'm now a mortgage advisor. Let's work together. Well, that didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> you know, they already had their people and yeah. they already had their relationships. And even though I you know knew them from a different industry. It wasn't like I, it was just going to just transfer over to me. And not, not that I expected it to, but I, I at least thought I had a way in. And I z- work with zero realtors, uh, zero people that I worked with in my past industry. I, I don't, none of them, uh, you know, hand out as, as potential, you know, uh, referral sources. Um, but what it did is it, it gave me a lot of easy way into conversations at meet networking meetings, you know, because yeah. I would already know them. It's a lot easier to yeah. step into a group of five people talking if you know one of them, right? For sure. Oh, yeah. Not knowing anybody and you're at those meetings, that's when it's hard to, yeah. to really nudge your way into a conversation when you don't really know anyone. So that helped. But uh, honestly, I just uh, found my niche. I, I wanted to attack new realtors. I, I really wanted to just attack that as my as my goal saying, okay, well, I'm new, they're new. Let's build our businesses together. Yeah. Right. They're not already coming in with other people they work with. So I, I just started working with younger, newer yeah. agents. And you know, odds are, you know, one or two of them are gonna be rock stars and, yeah. and they have. And you know, I, I created a niche with a bunch of them as as a first time home buyer specialist. I really just started focusing my efforts on you know, people like myself that were younger looking to buy a home and, and providing education and making yeah. sure that I stood out against any other, you know, mortgage advisor out there because I was the one really focusing on 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 the education piece and the first time home buyer piece and and my business has, has grown ever since. Yeah. No, it's kind of similar with with myself. Like you and I have known each other like pretty much as we both started these new careers. Yep. And like I know my like go to people in certain industries are from where you and I first initially met, like you, uh, Kevin, right? Yep. Uh, on the estate planning piece, uh, there's a few people that we all just kind of started in like at the same time. And like that just became like that, my my trusted circle of like yep. probably four or five people that I actually like trust and refer yep. people to. And that's just, that's just kind of how it is. You got to create those relationships and go out there and just get people that are at the same point in their lives as you are. Cause you know, like if some, someone new comes in, like if a, if a mortgage advisor comes to me and be like, Hey Mark, like I want to be like your go-to mortgage advisors, like I've had those conversations with other people that have reached out and trying to set those up. And it's like, eh, 
at the end of the day, like Lucas is my personal mortgage advisor. Like I, I gotta get like you, you're going to Lucas. Like I'm giving yeah. people to Lucas because like I trust him the most, and that's just yeah. ultimately what it comes down to, you know. And then it's just really up to us to keep it sustainable, right? Make yeah. sure you're doing a good job, and and yeah. business begets business, right? So, yeah. um, you know, you got to do a good job. It's just not churn and churn and burn. You know, you have to be able to create a referable experience from upfront. You know, if, if, because we are our business is transactional, you know, yours is more longer term play. Yeah. You're, you're going to connect with people uh, more than, than I would. So we're, we are literally often a one to two transaction with a client, you know, first time home buyer may not buy for another seven years. So right. really they're basing it off that one transaction. And yes, I make money off that transaction, but you've got to be able to make sure that you create and do a good enough job that yes, they are not going to buy again for a long time. But I'm going to be able to work with their parents, their friends, yeah. their, you know, it, it's creating that referable experience to make sure that, uh, you know, you can continue your business as it goes along because there's such a long period yeah. between transactions with an individual client. Yeah, no, 100%. That's funny. I didn't really think about that with you. Like, not not so much nowadays as it was maybe with our parents or whatever, but, you know, people take out 30-year mortgages. You know, like my parents, when they bought their house, the intention was basically that's the forever home for 30 years. But people are moving around a lot more, but still it's 5, 10, 15 years away. And you can't just be waiting for them to call you, you know, when they go to sell the house in a decade. For me, this is the first year I've had repeat, like people yeah. that I helped buy four years ago. Makes and sense. a lot of that's they buy their starter condo and they move into the burbs and right. you know, um, things like that. But it, it, there is a longer you know, period. So, you know, I try to stay in front of everyone that I've worked with yearly with either, you know, a check-in or a mortgage review, something yeah. that keeps me top of mind. You know, uh, are you planning on any renovations? You know, can you benefit from a refinance, things like that? But, yeah. you know, I got to make sure upfront that they're willing to take my call again, or yeah. they're willing to refer me out to friends, families, people they know. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about saying top of mind to people, just like a, a poke once or twice a year, just to like, you know, stop in, say hi, and be like, you know, yep. let's do a quick, quick review, see if there's anything worthwhile that could benefit. And there probably know, there them. could be nothing, but it's more of a check-in, see how sure. things are going. Oh, yeah. um, so that's a that that's a good strategy going forward to just yeah. stay top of mind. But again, upfront, you have to do a good job upfront to make sure that even can continue. Yeah, agreed. So sounds like you know, as far as like the networking and creating like your own like realtor base was like an early challenge that you figured out. What was some of the early successes that you experienced where you knew that like, oh shit, like I'm kind of, I'm pretty good at this. And like, this could be like a viable business for me going forward. Yeah. I mean, I came from, I think one of the most heavily yelped or Angie's list review business is yeah. moving, right? So yeah. you've got humans moving large furniture in and out of homes, damages, things like that, overages, estimating heat, snow, all that stuff. And it really came down to, I was pretty damn good person when it came to customer service. I actually yeah. cared. It wasn't just, you know, answering a phone call and a complaint, hanging up and not doing anything about it. I, I was always on top of making sure that our reputation remained pristine and that if there were any issues, which there always were, that uh, I took care of it. You know, I left them with the feeling like, yeah, that wasn't a perfect experience, but I was able to come to a resolution and they were very happy with the resolution, right? Because, yeah. you know, as the sales manager and kind of customer service, you, know, you got four or five guys that are out in the middle of nowhere, Boston moving furniture, you know, 
I'm not in control of what they do. You're, you're dealing with employees that, you know, can make mistakes. And, and so being able to take what I learned on the customer service end and bring it to this side of the business, I think helped me a lot because I actually cared uh, what ended up happening with whatever situation. And, and what I always learned uh, from the past business is that in the absence of any narrative, clients or customers are always going to make up their own. So that's why I always said communication is the absolute most important thing in any industry. Yeah. If, if someone emails, there's a concern. If you're not getting back to them in, in an ample amount of time, your brain starts turning. Well, yeah. well are they not going to pay? Are they not going to, am I not going to buy a house? Do I qualify? What happened? All of that stuff. So yeah. communication and customer service, the rest is all technical mortgage stuff that it, it, we all have to follow guidelines anyway. So it's more yeah. just what separates myself from, from other people. And I think it's, it, if you look at all my reviews, it, it's, it's, 99% about communication, yep. you know, being in front of them and making sure, because when I bought my first house in 2009, uh, it was a different industry then. And I, I was, I had no clue what was going on. It was <laughs> yep. literally just do this, do that, answer this, answer that. But I, I never was updated. I never knew kind of what was going on. I actually didn't even know what I qualified for. Yeah. I just, it was different then, but I showed them a house and that's what they said. And you know, I didn't even know what the monthly payment was going to be until I ended up going under agreement on it, which is wow. kind of opposite of the way I work yeah. uh, with clients. So uh, it, it's it's all about communication. Yeah, especially when it comes down to that monthly mortgage, because like at the end of the day, that's what I'll, that is the very first thing people want to know is like, what is can they afford the mortgage payment? Like, OK, yeah, yeah this this loan amount is great. Putting down. 5, 10, 20%, whatever it may be is great. The interest rate is great. But like at the end of the day, what is my mortgage payment? How does that compare to what I'm currently doing? And can I afford it? Yeah. And, and, and I have this conversation with everyone. Um, and it kind of sounds like that car salesman, like, well, what do you want your payment to be? Well, it's yeah. a little bit different in, in our different. Yeah. It's a lot more highly regulated, regulated. So what we work on is two figures. And I tell every client, whether the first time home buyers are, are you know, coming as, as uh, already bought before is we're going to look at two figures. What's your ideal monthly payment? What are you comfortable with monthly? And sometimes people will say, uh, I don't know. I'm like, well, here's what a, any financial advisor would tell you your housing expense should be, you know, 25% of your gross income or what yeah. have you. You know, yeah. I'm always going to give that figure. But sometimes they'll say, well, we pay 2200 in rent and um, we, uh, we'd be comfortable at 2500 or less. Okay. okay. Well, the other figure I'm going to give you is what you actually qualify for if you are ever to stretch your, your budget and what I could technically give you a mortgage for. And often that number is so wildly off. Yeah. You know, uh, they may qualify for $7,000 a month, but you're trying to <laughs> $2,500 budget. Yeah. Perfect. That is an ideal client because they're buying responsibly. Right. And we're going to hone their search with their realtor to properties that are going to give them that ideal monthly payment, yeah. knowing that. And abstractly, if they ever wanted to stretch their personal budget, they could afford a more expensive mortgage or home. Ideally, I want them to stay where they're comfortable. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, so let's get into the technical side of the business because let's be honest, everyone knows, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people know someone in the mortgage advising business, right? Like yeah. uh, everybody knows a realtor type of thing. What? So you've gone through the process a little bit, right? So what are the full suite of services and like packages like i know there's different rates that people can get and people qualify for and there's these jumbo loans like let's get into the technical side of it for people that really have no idea like even where to begin and you know what to kind of 
think about when they go to having a conversation with you? Yeah. So um, there, there's several different things we can discuss when when I sit down with a first time home buyer, even a second time home buyer is is budget. You know, what do they want to afford? Like I like I just talked about cash needed. Um, you know, that's always a concern for first time home buyers is, is what, well, what do I need for cash? In our market as a first time home buyer, for the most part, you can put as little as three to 5% down minimum on, on a home. Now that depends on how big of a home you're and how more exp- expensive home you're trying to purchase. But rule of thumb, three to 5%. If they can tell me kind of where their budget will be, then we can narrow that down, whether it's 3% or 5%. Uh, down and then we talk about closing costs. You know, costs in addition to your down payment. Now in Mass, there are programs that you can put zero percent down. We're going to have that conversation. Is it a viable option for you to utilize what's called a down payment assistance program? If credit's good, income's good, but you know you, the one thing lacking is cash. So there are ways that we can put it, you know, a client into different programs if they qualify. It's not just black and white. There's, you know, you can't make one hundred ninety thousand dollars a year and qualify for down payment assistance, right? It just right. doesn't make sense. Right. So I've got to look at all those parameters to see what programs uh, work best, what you have for cash, and what your timeline is. You may come to me now, and you're not going to buy till next year. Well, let's let's get a game plan together on how much cash you're going to need and what you may need to do. We kind of look at that stuff. We look at credit. We got to pull credit. Make sure um, the credit scores are qualifying. You know, if we're in the low 600s for a credit score, we maybe have some work to do. And okay. where your credit score is, the least amount of programs are available to you. You're kind of pigeonholed into one different one program that allows for the lower scores, but it's not ideal. Yeah. Um, you know, so we look at credit, we look at your other debt. What do you have? What are you carrying? Student loans, car payments, credit cards, things like that. Uh, and if someone's just not right, ready yet to buy, we will put a game plan together, not only from cash perspective, but what can you do to get your credit up so you can qualify for A, more programs and B, better rates, better terms, because rates and terms are usually impacted by your credit score. It's very important to understand the client's goals and their timeline. So you can say, are you ready now or you're not ready? Because that's, you know, some people try to you know, shoehorn a, a mortgage into a client when they're really not ready. Um, now, ultimately, if they say they're ready, then I have to see if I can make it work. But sometimes I'm realistic and say, you're six to eight months out. Let's get you in a better position um, so that when the time comes, you, you're in the best possible buyer out there. Um, so, yeah, we, we look at all that stuff, credit, in, and then we look at income. Yeah. How they make money. Um, are they salary? Are they hourly? Are they self-employed? There's a lot of rules, regulations on what I can use for income if you're self-employed, yep. like you, right? You know that. Yeah, <laughs> we've gone through these conversations many a times. Tax returns, you know, how are you paid? Uh, is there something wonky about your pay? Is it all overtime? Is it all bonuses? So all yeah. of that goes into reviewing everyone's income to see what we can use and to see if they're ready, you know, to uh, to to actually buy. And, and you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm a self-employed contractor. I, uh, my I made three hundred thousand dollars this year. Well, if you write off two hundred ninety nine thousand dollars of that income, I can owe you a thousand towards the mortgage. So there's there's a there's a fine line, definitely for self employed people of what should I pay in taxes versus because you know you can kind of write down as much as you can. So we need to show some income. So we've got to review all of that as well. So it's really just assets, income, credit, all of that kind of comes together for me to figure out what you qualify for and. Uh, it's 
it's a common misconception that you actually you could traditionally you go to into a bank and they'd hand you a pre give them your information, hand you a pre-approval letter, a letter that says you're qualified, that says you are pre-approved for a five hundred thousand dollar home. But what does that even mean? Yeah. Especially in our market where we have a lot of condos, right? Yeah. Five hundred thousand dollar condo can have a you know, twenty five hundred dollar monthly payment or a thirty five hundred dollar monthly payment depending on the condo fee. Yeah, but right. Condos in in Charlestown that have a thousand dollar condo fee. That payment's way more than a $500,000 condo in Framingham. Yeah. So it's not about purchase price. It's really about what can you afford monthly? Because that's what we figure out. And then okay. we back into a purchase range based on your down payment and what type of property you're looking at. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, because you and I have obviously had these conversations in the past. And it's funny, like I'm going through as I'm preparing, you know, and I'm talking about 2022 and looking into my expenses, you know, as a business owner. Yeah, as a business owner, you want to write off as much as you can. Um, but then when you go to buy a home, obviously it hurts yep. you on the other side of the coin. And, you know, my wife asked me why. And I was like, well, you know, you and I can make the same exact amount of income. But in the amount that you may, maybe you paid in taxes this year, I just yep. happen to write off. Um, and so at, our net income is the same. However, yours looks, th- yeah. yours looks differently than what mine is, even though technically we made the same amount of money and can qualify for equal amounts. It's just looked at differently. Uh, so, yeah. with that being said, like as a, as we approach the new year, I'm looking into the expenses that what can I get away? What can I like get rid of so yeah. my income looks better over the next two years? Because I, I ideally I think we're going to be looking two or three years from now. After you and I had that conversation last year, and the numbers that we were looking at make made it difficult. It's like okay, like what can I cut for the next two years? Suck it up, you know, pay you know pay that money in taxes essentially instead. To, to get my income to be where it needs to be to for us to buy a home that eventually you know we want for our, theoretically maybe our forever home or something like that but it's just you know I really learned that a lot uh, last year in that conversation because it's got to be what is it two years of consistent um, consistent income with yeah. you're not like straight w2 yeah two year average um, you have to have filed your tax returns for two years so you want to have a two year average and you want that average to, to be good right you can't yeah. You know, you can have one bad year and one good year. Um, if you've been in self-employed for five or more years, then we can use the most recent uh, tax returns. Okay. During COVID, it's been a little bit more skewed. They've been a, lo- a little bit more tight on on calculating self-employed income. Yeah. Especially last year when no one really knew what the hell was going on, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you got contractors that stopped working for four months, yeah. right? And and then all of a sudden we had this boom of 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 work going on. So it's yeah. like you, the, the, you know, we looked at not only two years returns, but what, what did your year to date PL look like, right? right. Uh, is it in line with what you made uh, over the last, uh, you know, two years? So, you know, those are the things you want someone that knows what they're doing and, and make sure that follows the lending guidelines. All of us in this industry, whether it's at a local bank or me or whatever, we all kind of follow the exact same guidelines. Yeah. It's just you want someone that knows what to ask for up front. So you're not out there looking for houses. And come down to it, find out you don't qualify because the person on the other end, the mortgage advisor, or loan officer, didn't do their job to calculate your income correctly. Yeah, and that's the worst. Uh, you know, knock on wood. You know, that doesn't come up very often, uh, but it does in other you know banks industries. They they just paper pusher that doesn't do their job to do yeah. it and sends you on your way and you go under agreement on a property and realize, oh crap, I actually don't qualify. Yeah. So a question I have when it comes to the different types of loans, right? So, and I have a very basic understanding uh, of the process, but like if you're putting down 3% or 5% uh, 
those are the those are the FHA loans. Is that accurate? No. So um, see if they go. I don't. <laughs> as, as a first time home buyer, you can put three percent down and, and do a conventional Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loan. Okay. Right? As a first time home buyer, as a second time home buyer, if you've owned before, the down payment minimum is five percent. And that's okay. for a primary residence, right? If you're doing a second home, it's 10%. FHA allows for three and a half percent down. Doesn't matter if you're a first-time home buyer or not. You just technically can't have two FHA loans at the same time. It's a government program. Okay. Um, so three and a half percent on FHA, but you can do three percent as a first-time home buyer. As long as your credit's good, the more programs you have are available to you. So FHA is, you know, typically it's an option for lower credit scores, higher debt ratios, things like that. It's not a terrible program. Okay. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it, again, it's really credit score driven is the higher credit scores, the more options you have to these programs, the lower you're really starting to push yourself really towards an FHA. So we always toggle back and forth and, and see what programs best fit for, for clients. Okay, got it. And then um, does that, so depending on the, the program you're in, does that affect the interest rates that are offered to you? Yeah. So yeah. Um, FHA is really good interest rates. Um, that's one good thing about an FHA loan, but they do have other caveats, which are they add a, a almost 2% funding fee on top of the loan. So they're going to add you know, $8,000 to a $400,000 loan on top of it. As oh, a wow. So yes, it's, uh, you know, it allows you to buy the home. If interest rates are, are very competitive. They're pretty good, um, yeah. but they add that funding fee as well as the mortgage insurance. PMI is very expensive and it's there forever. Yeah. Um, so you can't get rid of it like a traditional loan. And oh. PMI for, for most people that don't know what it is, it's anytime you don't put 20% down, you're going to have to pay mortgage insurance. Well, FHA's mortgage insurance is, is fairly expensive and in, in, in a traditional loan, conventional, it does go away once you earn more equity in your property. But FHA does not go away. Conventional, it does eventually once you get to a 20% equity standpoint. So you put 3% down, you're starting at a 3% equity, right? You need right. to get down to, to 20 yeah. or down to 80%. Uh, that takes a while. Yeah. The good thing in our market for conventional loans is that we see consistent appreciation of property values time over time. So you actually gain your equity a lot quicker than just organically paying down your mortgage. Right. So you're not going to pay your PMI or mortgage insurance for seven to 10 years, you're actually probably pay it for two to three years. Yeah. And then you can actually call to get it taken away because the property values in our market, Metro Boston, is they keep going up. So the yeah. disparity between what you owe and what it's worth keeps growing. So it's a, it's a good tool, but at FHA, it doesn't go away no matter what your property's worth. Okay. I did not know that FHA's uh, PMIs did not go away. So Unless you put 10% down, it does go away after 10 years, but most FHA buyers are not putting Right. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, I really didn't know that. Um, and then the other question I had too is if say, so let's just do a hypothetical. Somebody's looking at a $500,000 home and obviously 10% is putting 50 grand down, 20% is putting a hundred grand down and say they have that hundred grand, right? But they have like $110,000 total in their entire savings. It, like, yeah. it, is it worth it for them to just put the 10% down at the 50 grand, right? And take on the PMI and theoretically be paying it off in a few years and keeping that other $50,000 in their bank account, you know, as just emergency reserve type of money versus just throwing it at the mortgage immediately. Yeah, no, great, great question. We talk about that all the time. I always tell clients, put as much down as you're comfortable with that gives you the pain comfortable, right? Yeah. Some need to put 100000 right. down to, to right. get a payment that they qualify for or yeah. that they're comfortable with. But if you have 
top tier credit, which in our world is a 740 or above okay. right, credit score, you are going to qualify for the best rates and terms. And your PMI is based on your credit score and down payment. So okay. if someone says, well, I want to put 10 versus 20% down. I'm going to show them the payment difference between 10 and 20. And they will normally, most, most of the times, choose to put 10% down because the payment difference is so nominal compared yeah. to the cash needed, right? Right. Especially with interest rates being low, you know, in the high twos, low threes, you know, an extra 50,000 down doesn't actually make a huge difference on your monthly payment. And I would say, you know, don't deplete your cash reserves, put yeah. enough down to get your payment where you want it to be, keep that cash on the side. And, and again, same conversation with someone that has even more cash, but, you know, let's say 50,000 to turn that home that checks every box, except for maybe the kitchen, except for maybe the bathroom. Why don't you take the 50 off the down payment and use it to, yeah. to renovate and make sure this home is exactly where you want it to be? Yeah. Because when I show the payments side by side, they're like, really only $200 more a month and I keep 50,000 in yeah. the bank? Um, yeah, let's let's do that. Yeah, especially when you break it down, like say, use that example, say it was 200 bucks a month, $2,400 a year. Like if they're going to get to that, theoretically, that 20% equity of the home, even five years from now, I mean, that was $12,500 in five years where they got to hold on to the 50,000 up front, you know, to take care of the home. Like that's really not that big of a difference at all. You know, yeah, so. it makes total sense to yeah. uh, put that into something that's going to yield a better investment, whether it's in cash reserves, just for emergency fund or yeah. you know, invest it, put it in something, put it towards retirement, you know that. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, uh, it, it's a conversation we have and that's what being a true advisor is. Yeah. It's not just, you know, dictate, you know, taking orders and saying this is what you want to do. It's like, hey, well, what about this? Does yeah. this make more sense for you to do it this way? And that's where where we kind of gain our, our reputation and we, we get more business is by being the advisor, a true yeah. advisor. Yeah. Versus like and that's why I think people like I, I didn't I wasn't aware of this until like five years ago. But like, yeah, when I got my house, my first house was in 07. So I went through the bank, went through the bank had somebody do, you know, whatever it is they did. I didn't, I, I knew none of that stuff. And now like being in the industry, I mean, like, like you want your go-to person in, in each industry versus just going to a bank or just going online to like a fidelity, right? Like you just want your go-to person different areas of your life because like, they're going to have your best interests out there versus just whatever's, whatever the bank can offer you. And I think that's a huge differentiator between actually being a mortgage advisor versus just, you know, well, going just off to a bank. It makes, especially being commission based, it just makes yeah. more sense, right? You know, yeah, totally. The best thing for them, it may not be the best thing money wise for, for me or you or whatever, but you know what? Like, it's gonna sow so many more seeds for the future business yeah. if you just do it right up front. And like, it goes back to the whole churn and burn thing. It's just, yes, you know, can I make the most amount of money on this deal as possible? No, it's that that's not my goal. My goal is to make the most amount of money over the long term. <laughs> Yeah, and part of that is is making sure that uh, they feel like you had your best interest in, in, in mind. Yeah, agreed. Um, so how did how did COVID impact your industry? It's it's I'm curious because certain industries obviously got smoked, right? Like restaurant industry, brewery industry, and then I had somebody who owns the Boston Veterinary Clinic on here, and he's like, my business went bo boomed because everyone was adopting pets, you know. So it's just kind of an interesting contrast. So how did the mortgage industry? get affected good or bad or neutral i mean it was it was uh you know the best years ever yeah so my company fairway um you know 
we increased business by, you know, I can't remember, but we did 60 billion in loans nationwide, which was best year ever. That it was because there was a refi boom. When rates yep. hit the, the high twos, those are the lowest rates we had ever seen in the history of mortgage rates. So yeah. 2012, I think three, three and a quarter, say roughly, was the best rate we'd ever seen in history. And then when you know 2020 hit and we're in the low threes, high twos, every mortgage pretty much out there could be refinanced. So yeah. that, that's part of the reason why we saw a boom. Um, but we also saw a purchase boom. There were people that were weren't impacted by COVID, you know, whether it's tech or hospitals or med- medical, all of that, that, that now we're realizing I don't need to live in the city. I'm yeah. working remotely. I need, I can move out to the burbs and still make my money that I need to make. Yeah. And so, you know, they, you know, created this boom of, of purchasing, especially, you know, outside the city, you know, single family homes were extremely popular. Yeah. We're seeing a lot more condos now that, that are still popular, but we're, we've seen a lot of purchases. I think it was a, a kind of, it dovetailed with the fact that, that most first time home buyers are 33 years old. That's the average age. Okay. Uh, and since the baby boomers, we are now into the most amount of humans in the U.S. turning 33 in the next few years. So oh, not wow. only were we seeing extremely low interest rates, we're seeing the largest swath of first time home buyers ever hit since the baby boomers. Okay. So we are in a market where it's even though rates are going are going up uh, just cyclically, we're going to see uh, uh, still a strong real estate market because of the massive amount of first time home buyers um, that are going to be hitting the market in the next three to four years. No kidding. Yeah, I did. I did not know that. So as far as the interest rates go, it's oh, it's interesting to me, right? Like when I so the house I bought in 07, I got six one two five, which at the time was considered pretty good from what I remember. Yeah. Uh, and then it was a variable. And the bad thing about the crash of 08 six months later is the equity in my home went oh, like yeah. bottomed out. <laughs> like, I was immediately underwater. But like five years later, I think it was a five three arm. Five years later, I was able to refi it couldn't go up or down more than two and it was able to go down two so i got down to four you know one two five and now we're at i think it's three one two five uh thanks to you about a year and a half ago and now it's funny like i'm talking to people and like oh i want to buy a home now because if interest rates get to four like that's so high and it's just like it's just like recency bias like people don't understand like four is really good interest rate historically my parents bought their house they were double digits they were 10 to 12 percent like it's just it's kind of interesting yeah, it's a it, it it's all perspective. It's yeah. it's always when you're on that rising curb that people start to to say, oh my god, I can't believe rates are three and a half. Or, What's the deal with this? And and once it levels out and people start realizing, well, that's just the nature of where we're going, uh, interest rate wise. And and it, it's there's always a knee jerk reaction up front. Um, yeah. Once it levels out and we realize the. You know, Rates go in cycles. You know, we hit the bottom, and you know, we uh, we're heading back up. But again, historically, yeah, still amazing interest rates. Most second-time home buyers are always kind of always have that perspective, like, oh yeah, my first house I bought was six percent. Like, right. it's great. This is awesome. It is the first-time home buyer that has been beaten up in this market. It's highly competitive. It's it's the one that's been looking for a house for six to eight months yeah. that are starting to be like, oh man, rates are gone up since I started. Well, you started last year when rates are 2.99, <laughs> yeah. 2875, and now you're looking at three and a quarter. Yes, it looks like to you rates are killing yeah. you, but it's just you're beaten down by the market. Yeah. It's really just the scapegoat. 
But ultimately, like they're cyclical. They are going to go up. They may go down. We don't know. There's no way to predict which way the rates are going. Inflation has a big effect on yeah. interest rates. Uh, the Fed, uh, you know, uh, how they're responding to inflation, all of that kind of goes into where rates are going to be at. But the prediction is that we're, we're going to see them go up, but yeah. nothing like that we're going to see them at 7% next year. It's just going to gradually increase over time and people do get used to where they're at once it's kind of leveled out. Yeah, no, that's fair. So with, you know, with the year that you guys just had and then the the all the 33-year-olds that are coming upon us in 2022, what do you guys see for the future of McGarry Mortgage's Fairway Independent Mortgage? Like, what do you see for the future of that? You're still a young, you're only, what, 40? Like, you're still a young 40, guy, so. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be a lot of first-time home buyers. It's going to, you know, you got to know your customer. I think I was reading an article that said we are, you know, in the next few years, we're going to be moving to more of a minority uh, based. Uh, there's going to be more minorities buying homes than whites, which is a, a kind of a turn, which is which is awesome. Yeah. So you just got to pivot. You got to understand your client, know their needs and, uh, you know, really focus on the purchase end of it and, yeah. and being educational. Right. If, if yeah. There's this massive amount of first time home buyers. What do you have to do? Well, you have to get out there and provide education. Yeah. Making sure that uh, you, you know they're heading out looking at at homes with the most amount of knowledge as possible, and that they're they're comfortable with the process. A lot more is going to be online. You know, you've seen a lot of online lenders pop up, things like that. We've got to pivot. I when I first started, I I, mean, I prided myself in meeting almost every single client up front in person, which was unheard of. Yeah. Obviously, COVID hit, and I realized that. You know, I could still have the same connection via Zoom or via phone call that I was having in person. Yeah. So it's a, it's a lot of a pivoting on kind of how you do your business. Yeah. But I think if you just focus on education, communication, you're still going to continue to get business going forward. And, and, you know, we're learning to scale. We're hiring on because we feel right. like we're going to be growing, but also pivoting to realize that we're going to be, you know, doing a lot of online lead stuff, like, you know, lead gen, you know, yeah. people are going to just love to point and click and, and get approved. Well, there are companies that are the point and click companies out there like Quicken or Rocket that, you know, uh, do do mortgages and sometimes do them well, but it's an, an impersonal process where I'm trying to find a hybrid where I can still bring the personal process, but but allow for clients to kind of have that one touch, click and play, you know, get, get a mortgage very easily, but still walk away knowing that I've earned a client for life or I've provided value to them outside of the ease of, of getting a mortgage online. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think, I think you've done that. I think you guys, this has been super helpful personally and hopefully for everybody else that's yeah. listening too, just to kind of understand, you know, the mortgage process itself. Before I let you go, I always ask uh, three questions to everybody on Boston's Best. So just like everyone else, I'd love to hear your answers to them. The first one would be, what advice would you give someone who's looking to start their own business and take a take a like just a career change like yourself? What would be a good piece of advice that you would offer them? This one I, I actually got from a, a buddy of mine, a realtor that we know is is focus on what you're good at and hire out for the rest. Don't try to do everything on your own. Like yeah. you know, I, I'm very good at educational piece. I'm very good at certain aspects, but uh, there's certain aspects that I'm just terrible at. Yeah. Um, so, so focus on what you're good at, shine at that, but make sure, you know, if it's a piece that needs to be a part of your process, don't try to do it and do it half ass. Yeah. If you can scale and hire out to do that, you're going to be better off. Awesome. No, I think that's a really good answer. Second one would be if you could tell your 18 year old self one thing, what would you tell him? Oh, God. It's not about do what you love. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, do what's needed to, to, to survive, to, to earn money, to make a living. 
Uh, but no matter what you do, always make sure that uh, you you do it enthusiastically, do it in just hard work. Like just put everything you can into it yeah. and uh, just focus on on being the, the best worker possible. I, I made my way up the chain at, at the old company was and because I was the smartest, the strongest, things like that. I was just always willing to do whatever was needed, yeah. whether it was, you know, going out and helping uh, doing moving when I hadn't moved in years, but we needed a body. Just showing, be yeah. an example. You're not going to be the best at everything, but just do as much as you can to to to, uh, to step up and uh, put in the work. Makes sense. All right, man. Last question. Everyone has a varying depiction of what success looks like to them. So how do you define success? I'm going to define it as that feeling you get when uh, you actually help the client, you get a good review. When I get a good review, it trumps any money I made. It trumps everything. That That, that is success. That That yeah. is to me feeling like I've done well from the customer standpoint that, that I can get that review. I can see that I actually did a good job and, and that, uh, you know, I've helped in the past four years, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people achieved their, their goal of buying homes. Some yeah. are slam dunks. They're very easy. They were going to buy anywhere, anywhere else. But success is when you take that you know, problem client, that one that was just difficult. It, it, it had a lot of moving parts that someone else either turned down or someone said, you can't do it. And, and really piecing that puzzle together for them and, and actually realizing their their dream of, of home ownership. So the, that's success to me. It's, yeah. it's not necessarily about the money or, or what's involved there. It's it's about you know providing that experience and and, and following through with it. Right. Yeah. I could say I want to create a referable experience, but if that's not the end product, then then that's yeah. not success. Yeah. Love it, man. Great answers. I appreciate the time, Lucas. I'm looking forward to promoting the hell out of this. I think it's super yeah, helpful for everybody. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to say thank you for checking out my podcast. I really do appreciate the love I've received for this show. I believe now more than ever, any exposure to local businesses is great for them to receive, and I'm trying to do my part. If you are a local business owner or someone you know in the Boston area that would like to be featured on the podcast, please email me at bostonsbestpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow this podcast. It's available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on Instagram with the handle at Boston's Best underscore podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com backslash Boston's Best podcast. Again, I truly appreciate the great feedback for this show and stay tuned for each new episode every Friday at 8 a.m. Take care.